All right, we're on. Good morning, Liz. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm awesome. Um, cool. Welcome everyone back that's tuning in for another episode of our GTM Kickback. I think this is episode number 48, and uh, we've got kind of a, a really lucky awesome number 48. Yes, lucky number 48. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, obviously, we've got a fantastic guest here by the name of Liz Christo. Um, Liz, I'll, I'll let you dive into your background. So you, you'll speak into it a little better than me, but I mean, just tremendous sales leader. You, know, you worked at NetSuite for a number of years leading up big organization there. I think you, you scaled what your group to like 170 different persons, turned investor, advisor, right. go to market leader to a number of different organizations and working for some of the greatest, I guess, venture capital groups um, in the world right now um, of open view for quite some time and now stage two, which is really cool conceptually because I know you guys are built solely around the basis of go-to-market consulting and I guess I mean just one of the most extensive advisory groups and leadership groups that yeah. I've seen in this space to help support your companies in like really really cool ways um what we're going to talk about today just to cover the topic really quickly for everyone is basically the idea of product-led growth motions and the, the inflection points where you need to integrate sales, why you need to integrate proper direct sales, I guess, rather, and like how exactly to do that. I know that's been foundational to a lot of the companies that you work with and how you consult with them. Um, and it's obviously a really interesting time when we're seeing companies like like Zoom and Slack and Monday and, and yeah. those other organizations that they did build like a ton of traction and momentum off of like this product-led growth and this internal development and it started one division or, or uh, group of an organization and sort of expand organically, but um, it, it's a fantastic motion. But I think at a point, like some people don't always buy like that. So it's nice to think you've got great ideas on the infusion or the blend of the two different types of um, right. execution of sales. So um, leave it with that. Pastor, do you, you want to give us a quick intro, maybe a little deeper than that and, and cover that from a high level? Sure. I mean, I think you covered the highlights, but I think the important thing to note is I started my career on the operating side. I had the pleasure of working for a really early startup, got acquired into NetSuite and spent about eight years there helping to build out different parts of go-to-market at a public company. Um, I worked across sales operations, account management, and eventually building out the top of funnel PDR lead gen. Um, and you know, that, that run was really foundational for me in that NetSuite was selling in every country in the world, across every vertical, like a true horizontal product and like a huge span of deal sizes. And I call that out because I think it was just a huge like education and go to market. Um, when I left NetSuite, I went into the world of venture. Um, I joined OpenView Venture Partners, was there for a little over five years. Um, and it was really interesting. You know, I went to OpenView first to build out the post-investment team and to help think through what were the unique and differentiated services that we could offer to our portfolio companies. And the kind of key one that I was bringing was around that inside sales motion and building outbound. And at the time, in you know, late 2015, early 2016, really hot topic. A lot of companies were thinking about how to scale those teams up and what was like really working at scale. And it's so funny now looking back because just a few months into my tenure with OpenView, we really quickly were like looking at each other at the partner table going, I think there's like something new here with self-service. And we were seeing really great success and signs of that like PLG motion working in Datadog. 
um, we were talking about an investment in Calendly and we were all looking at each other going like, wow, like there's something unique. And so we can certainly lean more into that. Um, I had a great run at OpenView, um, you know, great, great firm, uh, awesome investments, um, but found myself leaning a little bit earlier in the life cycle of companies. And I had the opportunity to join stage two. Um, and, you know, an earlier stage firm founded on the principles of bringing together best in class investing with like really strong go to market and operational expertise, both within our partnership. Um, and then also within our investor base. So our LPs are now 300 CROs, CMOs, heads of sales operations. And the idea that we can bring so much unbelievable experience together to surround our portfolio, uh, you know, really kind of helps us with the idea that we can help bridge companies between these early signs of product market fit to, you know, what we think of as go to market fit and eventually scale. Um, Probably lots more to share there, but that is a good high level overview. <laughs> that, that's plenty, no, and, and it's a tremendous and, and really just amazing background. So uh, congrats on that. It's cool to see Thank what you. you're doing right now. Um, well, let's just talk into it, I guess, uh, product-like growth and uh, I guess traditional sales functioning, compare and contrast. You described it perfectly simply. Um, product-like growth, I think the best way to describe it is like creating an environment where self-service is sort of the buying methodology for what is like traditionally an enterprise sale type play enterprise or whatever market segment. Right. Um, yeah. Could you tell me like, how did this come about? Uh, obviously like Calendly, uh, Datadog, Backup, Zoom, all these are kind of good examples that I think make yeah. it pretty obvious, but like what led to this and like, why are people so encouraged and wanting to like replicate this business model? And then we can talk into like, when is that appropriate? And like, does it yeah. matter? matters on your type of product, your type of uh, buyer, your type of market segment, et cetera. I might zoom back a little bit first and think of this as like a, almost an evolution. Um, so if you always think about there is like a set of innovative companies that are at the forefront of a new go-to-market motion. And then we have a little bit of follow the leader that happens. And, you know, that evolution started a long time ago for software, but you know, the first like real enterprise sales motion was field sales. So you had companies like Oracle, PTC, IBM, who were out there building these like really aggressive field sales forces um, that were literally on the road calling on customers. Um, and then, you know, 1990s, if you fast forward, we had the first like old cloud companies forming. So Salesforce, NetSuite, um, and they started building telesales teams. And it became this like rush to build an inside sales force and to try to actually compete with field sales teams at like a third the cost. And I think at the time people thought that was crazy. And then it became like massively widely adopted. Then you think about the next trend and it was marketing and inbound and content and actually trying to move from what was this like highly like um, a highly manual process of list building and outbound to actually driving demand inbound. And I think the trend across all of those steps was about deleveraging the sales process and looking for points where you could take a really like highly intensive manual effort and automate something and make it less expensive and more efficient and relying less on like an individual person to do that step. Product-led growth is really the next natural extension of that. So as you move from, as you move through these steps of deleveraging the sales process, the growth is really a point at which like the product can sell itself. And I do put that in quotes because I don't think for most companies, that's actually what's happening, but there are some unbelievable examples of that, right? Like Atlassian is probably the most successful example of that. 
but Slack, Calendly, Twilio, Expensify, Dropbox, SendGrid, there's so many uh, companies out there where we look and see that model. But in the early days, I think it was uh, very much a product that had these like interoperabilities where you created a viral loop. Like you don't use Calendly by yourself. You don't use Slack by yourself. If you're scheduling a meeting, inherently you're exposing the product to someone else. If you're in a chat, there's somebody else at the other side of that. And so a user becomes this like unbelievable advocate and marketing tool, whether within a company or externally in, in some cases now. Um, so it, it becomes a tool. Um, so I think as we think about that evolution, I guess I'll say, I think that's like an important thing to have as context. And then the current like rise and excitement of product-led growth in just the last few years. And it's almost like ubiquitous, uh, like showing among software companies, like everybody wants to do this <laughs> and is trying to do this. Um, and it doesn't work for all companies. But I think there is like a layer of it that does. Um, I don't know, where do you want to go next? I feel like we could talk about kind of what makes product-led growth attractive or I think why people are really going after it or more about the model. Um, yeah. I don't know what you think is the right not, place. What I'll do is not to call myself like the devil's advocate, but I think a, a, a good way to talk about this is look at the lens of criticism to it, right? Yeah. So like, um, like when I think most people think companies that are associated with product-led growth models and functions, like it's generally associated with like lower deal values, like more down market targeting SMB yeah. or, or sometimes mid market, sometimes middle enterprise like deals. And it, it just has this feeling for anyone that might be critical of it, that it's a, a dehumanizing experience where you don't have, not that you need the personal touch of a salesperson to, to grace you with the gift of zoom, right. To figure out how to use it. <laughs> like, you know, but like when you get in, when a company goes to spend, I don't know, seven, six, seven figures on a software, which many of these enterprises are for like a zoom on an annual basis. Yeah. Like there, I think there's an expectation that they're like, we want to talk to someone, you know, at, at a baseline, like, I don't want to click and, and send my credit card to you for yeah. 10 grand a month for the next four years. Right. Without knowing a little bit more what's going on. Like it, it leads to questions like, what do I not know? Like, you don't know what you don't know, don't know what you're not getting or don't know subtle nuances or complexity. And, and there's an element of like trust that you have in this person that they're portraying yeah. the product correctly, that they're going to service you correctly. And you have to do that without like a human that's going to be your accountability layer. Right. So I, I guess that, that leads to my question is like, why do people want to move towards that so aggressively? Is it just a matter of cost savings and, and like making things more efficient in terms of like, obviously a, a sales yeah. force is generally like very high on your, your P&L chart, right? Um, like in, in terms of like your cost, your association, but um, I don't know, there seems like there's a lot of barriers to this that make it not such a great fit to many companies. Yeah. So I think you brought up two really interesting points and like, I'm going to table one of them and come back to it. So I think you just teed up all the reasons of like why and when to add a sales team, right? Which is like this enterprise set of requirements, features, buying process, and like, let's come back to it. Yeah. But the other side of this of like, what makes PLG attractive? I mean, there are a lot of things, but I think probably the one that maybe like doesn't feel quite as intuitive to people, but I think is like at the crux of this 
is when you think about the cost of sales and the growth trajectory of a company, there are like two fundamental things happening here. In like a traditional enterprise business, you are like literally reliant on people to build quota capacity in order to hit the number. So as you think about, you know, going from 1 million in sales to 10 million to 50 million to 100, you have to like hire all those people, successfully onboard them, get them to actually hit quota and deliver on that number. And your ability to do that at scale relies on having great management, great onboarding, um, and you like inherently and naturally get less less efficient, which means growth slows down. And so as we look at like the normal trajectory of a company, like growth will naturally slow at scale. But if you think about product-led growth and the idea that like an individual user can actually be your marketing agent and your advocate and can expose more people there is this potential for like a product-led growth company to actually accelerate growth at scale. And we've seen a bunch of examples of this now where, you know, Calendly is a great example of that. For every like one person that uses Calendly, on average, three other people are exposed. So if you have, you know, 10,000 users versus 50,000 users versus a million users, you actually see an acceleration, which is pretty wild. So I think that's one of the things that really draws people to this. And then the second is the ability to learn really quickly. Um, You get a lot more data. You have a lot more product usage and top of funnel data, and you can iterate really quickly on the product, um, which I think is really compelling as well. But if I think coming back to that second point, and particularly like when to layer in sales, I think you hit the nail on the head. What we tend to see is Product-led growth is pointed at an individual first and foremost. And that individual who like downloads, uses, maybe even pays, tends to expose their team. And then the team tends to expose a department and the department may expose the company. And obviously it depends on like the use case and how horizontal the product is. But the goal is like growth within a company. And so what tends to happen is you hit some tipping point. And whether that is... Um, a set of like security requirements around an integration, whether it is the finance team saying, hey, we have 50 different people expensing the same tool every month. Like, does anybody know how much spend that is in aggregate? Um, And like a push for an MSA, whether that is um, trying to negotiate some sort of like group or tiered discount. Um, You know, there's so many different things that could come up, but I think the commonality between them tends to be like, that's a moment in time where a salesperson can actually add value. And so as I think about like when and how to layer in sales, it's not that you're going to that individual user who just started using the product and trying to like actively convert them to a paid user. It's that you're trying to like slot into the individuals and teams and companies that are most actively using you and looking for those pain points that actually show that they're ready to talk to a salesperson. You can do that proactively. You can look for those yeah. signals. Um, and that's I think what the best sales teams are doing. But there is, to your point, a moment where like, hey, if, if I've got you know a couple or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend happening, which we've seen, like, yeah, I don't want to just have individuals expensing this anymore. I need some assurance that like, there is, yeah. you know, a real process at the other side. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, um, let's talk about this a little bit off script from what we have, but 
let's talk about moving into that. So if we're at that inflection point, a, a company sees that like their buyers are more regularly wanting to engage with like real service per, uh, salespersons yeah. at like this enterprise level and this enterprise deal value, right? What kind of people do you need leading this inside an organization? Let's, so I, I guess my question is like top to bottom, what does that go-to-market team look like? Traditionally, yeah. you know, our direct sales teams are it's direct sales leader and a VP of sales or CRO sometimes, a VP of marketing, a VP of customer success, right? And those are mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like the revenue triangle for a, a traditional direct sure. sales model. Correct me if I know there's more to that, but yeah. um, what's different about um, a company that has this infusion or has, is moving from a traditional product-led growth model and, and wants to start hiring or growing a proper sales organization? Like what type of persons do they need? Who needs to be in charge? Is it a product person? Is it a marketing person? Yeah. Leave it it with that. Sorry. (laughs) No, no. I think it's a really good question. Um, I, I guess first I would say, I think the first customer facing team that tends to exist in these companies is some sort of customer support function. And it's a very reactive, like I'm having this challenge. How to, can you help me do X? And making sure that you're like highly responsive and helping that person through their journey, I think is where it starts. So customer success is like, or customer support really is the first one. And then I think with maturity that evolves into more of a customer success function and customer success is like taking that reactive work and flipping it to proactive and like getting ahead of the challenges that they see people run into. And it, I think some of the product gaps and like it, it shouldn't be that you're doing that forever like or new things will pop up but like you should be like reaching out figuring out what's going on in an account and then helping them kind of move to the next stage in their buyer journey and filtering that feedback quickly back to product to see if there are ways to like automate or make it easier and then as I think about actually layering in like true sales it probably looks a lot more like a traditional upselling motion um, in the sense that you, you're going to be very solution oriented. You should, in all like cases, have more information at your disposal. The individual and the company have already exposed themselves to your product. They've done like 90% of the research and work already. So you need to come in in a really educated way, understanding how they're using your product. And the conversation needs to be about like what they are trying to accomplish and adding value and helping them do that. Um, so like depending on the, you know, the product and the company that probably looks something along the lines of what we already discussed, which is like, Hey, I see that you like invited five other users in, like, can I share with you um, a feature that we have that allows you to handle permissioning for teams? And that is like then the catalyst of a conversation conversion, or it might be going to them and saying, Hey, you've got, you know, six different people that are using the product in different accounts. Should we get you guys together? Um, But the motion is far less like traditionally salesy (laughs) and more about helping somebody along that buyer's journey. And I, I do think that's the key is like really understanding what is your buyer going through at each step and, and like, how do they want to buy? And our buyers are changing really fast. Um, I keep giving the example of like Starbucks and like, it's not a software example, but like how often do you actually like walk into a coffee store now? Like we all like order stuff on our phones. And when you downloaded that app, like you didn't call somebody and ask them how to use it. Like it had to be really intuitive. Um, And so I I do think there is an aspect of like taking um, our consumer exposure now 
and applying that more to business and thinking about how we do that like sales assist motion and not just um, purely rely on product or purely rely on sales. I, I guess that's one thing. And I got two more questions and I'll let you get yeah. one, one being just kind of wrap up. Um, it's like the, the idea of consumer intelligence and software is, is increasing on yeah. a year over year basis, like exponentially, it seems. So I think the one thing that holds people back from like beginning with the product web motion is that maybe their, their product is too technical, too complex, or in many cases, it's, it's innovative. It, it's a very educational sale where like, if you're working with someone that's got, I don't know, a complex IT or like security software, um, like even for the cloud engineers and CISOs that are going to be using it out yeah. there, like one, they need to figure out how to find it because it, it has to start somewhere um, and, and takes, I think, a little while for that flywheel to start. Um, and two, like they have to see the value in something that is so innovative that maybe it's not even something that it, it can be described in, in general marketing material mm-hmm. or um, doesn't really have any competitors on the market that they're just targeting against. Sure. Like, what would you say to those people? Um, and then in, in unison with that, like, I think that leads to more of an outbound sales function. We talk about sales and these product-led growth and integrating it in there uh, once they're, yeah. they're kind of getting to the upper side. But what about like an outbound function for that? I think that's something we didn't really talk about. Yeah. So I guess there's a couple of ways to take that. First, there are very few examples of enterprise businesses that were built on like an outbound and traditional sales motion who have actually been able to like integrate a true self-service funnel. And I think a lot of that comes back to packaging and pricing and the concern of cannibalizing your own business. So if you think about, let's first start with like a company that is just starting out and what they're going to do. If you want to have a PLG motion, I think you have to start there. Um, it is so hard to add it later. So I just add that as context. Um, but then evaluating whether or not that like product led motion is a fit. There are plenty of companies where it's not. If you have like a true closed ecosystem and you are using the product on your own, or there is like kind of to your point, like a very hands-on implementation or a very like high risk, critical, secure set of data that needs to be migrated, um, or there's a lot of risk in doing that. ERP is a great example, like where I came from at NetSuite. Like yeah. if you are running a materially sized business that has, you know, your general ledger, like the heartbeat of a company, it's pretty risky to say, I'm just going to turn on this new thing. And like, you know, one user is going to start using it. Like, it doesn't work like that. Um, but I do think that there are still really interesting applications of product-led software or product-led go-to-market motions for those enterprise software companies. And it tends to be more oriented around once you are like installed and in, how do you use product data and like usage data to drive upsell and renewal and cross-sell motions. And I think we're seeing that in enterprise companies now and where we're seeing like PLG work, it's far more oriented around like getting access to data making more data-driven decisions and using that data to help your buyer do the next thing that exposes them to value. And so I think, you know, it's probably more on like the account management or customer success side rather than what we consider like traditional direct sales for many enterprise businesses, but it's still working. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Well, cool. I I think this is, this is awesome. This is a really valuable conversation and and I appreciate all your insight, I guess, just to wrap this up and I'll let you close this out and, and, um, I guess tell anything you'd like to say, like how can people go out there and educate themselves on this? Obviously it's, it's a new trend. It's, there's a lot of great examples out there, but 
whether it's it's someone seeing this as a fit for their business, someone that's an entrepreneur wants to start a business, they're just someone wanting to learn about it, right? Um, see if it's a good fit for a type of company to work with, like the resources you recommend or people you recommend to follow or anything like that. Yeah. Yourself included, sure. I'm sure. So, yeah. Well, I would say on the Stage 2 website, we've done um, a bunch of work to share our thinking on PLG and how to think about the funnel and the data and the like transition the company goes through. So that's like absolutely one place to start on the Stage 2 website. Um, the other person that I'll plug is Kyle Poyer, um, who I think does an unbelievable job um, with his newsletter and sharing a lot of like the learnings, both from public companies and from private companies on PLG. Um, and then it sounds kind of crazy, but like there are some really awesome communities popping up around like PLG enablement. And I think there is a whole new category of company getting created there too, but plugging into the communities and actually working with practitioners who are like living in it every day is probably the most important thing to do. And there's some great like Slack groups and, and, uh, you know, communities online where you can do that. Cool. Um, well, thank you, Liz. I will link um, all those in the bio here if anyone's watching and wants to take a look at them um, or in the post here on, on LinkedIn, right? Um, thank you so much for the time. This was really valuable and, and it was a pleasure. So hopefully we can do it again. Thanks for having me.